This message was recorded at Devoted, a Christ Central Festival for all the family. To find out more about Devoted, please visit devotedevent.org. It's nice to see uh, quite a few faces who heard us speak yesterday, and you've come back again today, but uh, I recognise there's a few different faces as well, so um, I'll just very briefly introduce, uh, uh, introduce us again for those who, who weren't here yesterday. Um, so um, I'm married to Helen here. My name is Rob. Thank you, Helen. So uh, we're from Bolton in Manchester. And uh, we've got Joseph and Lillian here, uh, all the way from Zambia, if you would like to stand. And we've, uh, we've known them for about 15 years, um, been traveling over there for quite, quite a long time. Our stories are very intertwined. And then we've got Stuart and Ginny from, from Sheffield. So Ginny's going to be giving um, her testimony. You'll see her in just a moment. Uh, so what we're, what we're going to do today is Ginny's going to start off with some of her story. And uh, then I'm going to teach a little bit into uh, the authority that we have in Jesus and how that demolishes strongholds in our lives. And uh, then uh, we're going to hand over to Lillian, who's going to say a little bit about deliverance, which sometimes uh, is very necessary to help us to be free from those prisons that Lillian uh, was speaking about yesterday. And we, we started off, uh, sorry, we finished off yesterday with, with some of Helen's personal story. And, uh, I mean, really, when we first shared this in our church, when we'd, the Lord had brought us through most of it, it, it took two Sunday morning sermon slots. Like, and and that, was, that was brief, really. You know, we, we took it an hour and a half to talk about it. So any story you hear from any of us, uh, you know, you know there's, a, there's a load more behind it. And, and so similar to what Ginny has to, to share this morning, um, you know, it's just touching the surface, but things that are perhaps most pertinent to, um, the, to what we're actually looking at today. So let me pray, and then I'll hand over to, to Ginny. Uh, thank you, Lord God, so much. Uh, Lord, I just think of that song we were singing in worship today, Lord God. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Lord, you were raised the name uh, above all names, Lord God. What a beautiful, what a wonderful, what a powerful name yours is. And uh, I thank you, God, as we're, as we're looking at our very real enemy. I, I thank you again, Lord God, that you are our focus. Uh, you are our glory, Lord God. It's who you are and what you've done and the outworking of that in our lives and our churches that we want to hear, Lord God. And uh, Holy Spirit, I pray would you en enlighten our hearts and our minds today, especially as Ginny uh, just speaks to us initially, Lord God. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you be speaking to us? Maybe not exactly the same things have happened to us, but would you be highlighting things in our lives or in the lives of those that we're ministered to, Lord, uh, to, that, that you might shine your light in the darkness and bring us into all the freedom that you have in store for us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Okay, let's welcome Ginny, please. <laughs> what I'm going to do this morning is just give a very, very brief outline of some of my story. Um, and as Rob says, there's a lot more to this, a lot of stories within the story. And you might think, why do I need notes? to give some kind of testimony, but it's to keep me on track and <laughs> make sure we can move on. Um, so the way I'm going to do this is give a very, very brief outline. 
about my background, and then I'm going to talk very briefly about what life was like, and then I'm going to talk um, about the state uh, that I was in prior to experiencing what we might call deliverance. And I'm not ashamed of using that word because it's in the Bible, the experience of deliverance. Even though we don't often read the words, we see the people experiencing it, like the man of Gadarenes. And we see that spiritual warfare is not all about what's happening out there. A lot of it is about what's happening in here. And so we need to learn um, to get to, to grasp as Christians what it means um, to do a battle for our own minds and our own faith and our own spirit. Um, so I'm not going to talk much about that today. That wasn't the aim. <laughs> the aim is to simply talk about where I was because I want you to see where strongholds can come from. And Rob is then going to talk about the authority that we have in praying for people who experience these strongholds. So, briefly, about me. Um, I came from a very kind of working-class poor background. My father was a highly intelligent, frustrated, and prone to outbursts of uncontrollable rage kind of man. My mother had learning difficulties, a narcissistic personality disorder, which means she was concerned only for herself and had no sense of responsibility for anyone else. She was a pathological liar, which meant that was chronic and compulsive, and other difficulties. Uh, she and my father met when they were doing their national service, which everyone had to do at that time in, in um, the country's history. And they courted by letter. And then when my father came out of the regular army, they married. And so basically, they'd never really got to know each other. I had an uncle, um, more, well, more than one uncle, but I had a, one uncle who was eight years older than me and um, liked to use me to explore his sexuality. I was the eldest child of three, and I became the focus of my mother's jealousy. She somehow had this thing that I got in the way of her and my father, and she liked to play mind games with me and my father in a manner that would incite my father's frustration and rage. And that would end up where I would be on the receiving end of his anger. At school, I was bullied. I was assumed incapable because until the age of 13, I was mute. And therefore, I was left to my own devices to draw, which I quite liked. So generally speaking, it was a life of physically brutal treatment. Um, my father, when his temper just went, would grab whatever was near, lamp bases, belts, boots, shoes, whatever, and he would just beat me until I was senseless and he had expended his rage. It was one of neglect, 
so we were frequently deprived of food. We were not properly looked after. We were not properly washed, for instance. So we were the kids that always had head lice when the knit nurse came round to inspect the hair. And it was one of not quite knowing how to avoid the uncle who would try and corner me in various places. And at school, it was one of um, trying to get home before the bullies could get me, trying to hang back before the bullies could get me, because they liked to do things like push my head down into the toilet bowl and flush it, break my spectacles, put them down the toilet, and watch while I tried to scrabble to get the bits out. That's obviously just a very brief outline. But emotionally... It was an atmosphere of volatile and angry arguments. It was a, a kind of atmosphere of becoming the scapegoat for the entire family. If anything went wrong, I was always the one that was responsible. And I was subjected to various twisted daily rituals from my mum, for instance, she would sit for an hour every morning and just say to me over and over again, you're mental, you, you need a doctor. And she would do it for one hour exactly and then when the hour was up, that was it for the day until the next morning. So you can imagine what I believed as I grew up. There was vindictiveness and all manner of mind games. So frequently I was locked in coal stores, outside toilets that we had then, and such like. And mainly it felt to me as if I existed to do the chores. And so, um, as a child, I eventually did have to see a child psychiatrist. And they asked me to draw pictures, and I would draw stick men of my mother and my father and my brother and my sister over here watching the TV and I would draw me over here with an ironing board and an iron. Or I'd draw them having an ice cream at the seaside and I would draw me having to carry all the sandwiches and so on over this side. And so I kind of grew, grew up seeing myself as an outsider, as one who did not belong, as one who was mental and needed a doctor as one who was odd and weird and so on. So this kind of atmosphere led to my being mentally tormented. I was tormented by the effects of and the lies that originated out of all this abuse. Things like you're useless, you're stupid, you're clumsy, you're a mental case, you need a doctor, you need putting in Middlewood, which was the name of the local mental health institution that was around at the time. You don't belong. Who do you think you are? You're a nobody. And so as I became a little older, thoughts of suicide and what is known as the black dog of depression sank over me. So what was the state that that left me in? 
So as a child, um, all this led to my being mute, as I've already said, which wasn't a physical thing. It was a, a psychological thing. It was called... Um, it was more because of the traumas and stuff. So it, it's, it's kind of classed as a, a psychological problem that people can have. So I was disassociated. That means I was completely switched off. I was fearful. I was unable to feel any emotion other than that of fear. And whilst I was not um, a genius by any means, I was actually much more intelligent than people realised. Despite being mute and despite outwardly seeming as though I didn't know how to do much or how to read and so on, actually I did read and I read quite a lot because my father had a lot of books in the house and he had a lot of books that um, were written for boys that he'd had growing up. So I read all these books because reading to me became a means of escaping into another world. And so by the age of nine or ten, I'd actually read a lot of books by a man called Jules Verne. And the most famous ones that he wrote are Around the World in 80 Days. And uh, you may have heard of that. And another one he wrote was 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And in that book, there's a man called Captain Nemo. And Captain Nemo is somebody that no one knows who he is. He keeps himself invisible. And Nemo in Latin means nobody or no man. And when I read that book and all this stuff that was said to me about being nobody and other things that happened within my family unit, I knew that that was me. And so at nine years old, I christened myself Nemo. Because I felt nobody. I felt invisible and without personhood. And I just knew that was my identity. In that moment, folks, apart from everything else that had been done to me, I made a curse onto myself. Because I spoke that into myself and that became something that became a lifelong battle. And at the time, outwardly, I presented as if on the autistic spectrum, although autism wasn't spoken of that much at that point in time. It was seemingly, outwardly, that I had little intellectual capability. And according to the child psychiatrists at the time, who were obviously unaware of my home life, there was no hope of seeing me achieve anything or grow up to hold down a job. I was written off as a hopeless case. At this point, I want to interject because I can't resist it. There are no hopeless cases. There are only people without hope. And I'm going to say it again, there are no hopeless cases. There are only people without hope. So if you are here and you feel that something in your life is hopeless, it's not. It's just that you need hope. And there's only one place to find that hope, and that is in God. And if you're here and you know someone, and you're sat here wondering how to help them, and it seems they're a hopeless case, no, they're not. But they need to find hope in God. As a teenager and into a young adult, 
I was not able to communicate very well verbally, or by, by 13 I'd begun to tr speak a little. Conversation was in monosyllables after breaking out of mutism. I was generally disassociated and withdrawn and switched off emotionally. Seemingly able to cope with a high level of physical and emotional pain because I was totally disassociated from it. The reality of those painful experiences wasn't touching me. It was a question of surviving another day. Um, at times when I was asked by people that I saw at that time how I got on with mum and dad, as they called my parents, I would just say fine, because that was my normal and I assumed it was fine. I had no emotional feelings of love, happiness, pleasure or of hurt and pain. The only, f the only feeling I felt was fear. I was unable to make choices or feel anything good. I suffered suicidal depression and had broken and damaged physical health. In fact, by the time I was in my mid-twenties, I became disabled because the abuse had broken my back in three places. I was brought into God's kingdom, and I use that term because I couldn't make a choice and I didn't find God myself, he found me. That's a whole new story. Nevertheless, I came into the kingdom, and by the way, none of us choose him. He chose us first, just to straighten that out. <laughs> but I recognized inwardly that God was present with me, but the relationship was on the basis of fear. So, for instance, I had to do what God asked of me or else. So, for instance, getting baptised in water, I just knew God was asking me to do this and I had to be obedient. And when it came to the point of giving a prophetic word, you have to do this because God's told you to do it. Because without realising it, my understanding of God was based on a model of abusive parenting. So God was an abusive Heavenly Father. And as this new Christian, I devoured the Bible instead of other stuff. I've stopped reading the other books now. I'm reading the Bible. And it's not because I'm brilliant at reading. It's just because I was so used to reading that I just did. So I read the Bible and I read it and read it and read it. And I read about a relationship of peace and grace. I read about the power of God. And a God who cared for me. And yet I could not seem to know him as father. And I couldn't seem to view him as kind and merciful. Because all of this was outside my experience. And so actually I became even more confused and even more depressed and even more suicidal. And this this friend is at a point now where I've become a Christian and I've been baptised in water and I've been baptised in the Holy Spirit and I'm speaking in tongues and I'm prophesying. But this is what I'm feeling like inside. Because there was a war within me 
as my cognitive understanding of what the Bible says about relationship with God did not match up with my experience and my feelings because that was all outside of my experience. And so the war got worse. And just again, to come off to one side for a minute, when a person becomes a Christian, and particularly after baptism in the Spirit, often it can be that their problems seem to get worse. Now this is not a negative. It's actually a sign that the reality of what has happened in their spirit, in their inner man, right at the core of their being, it's a sign of the reality of that having happened. Because the light and the life at the core of this person's being is now trying to oust the darkness that has ruled them all this time. They didn't have maybe the same degree of battle before they were baptised in the spirit or become a Christian because the darkness reigned. But now light reigns. And it says in the Bible that he changes us from one degree of glory to another. He's not going to leave us in that state of difficulty and darkness. And so the, the seemingly outward increase in the difficulty and the battle is because the power of God is at work to oust the darkness. So this is who I am in my early 20s. Unsettled and withdrawn despite having experienced God in rather amazing ways, with no ability to choose, and then in having to choose, because um, I did, despite all this, meet and marry my husband, Stuart. I was then having to choose things like, what shall we have for our tea? And I'd learned to scrabble for something to eat. I'd been brought up in a way by, if there was anything in the cupboard, you ate that. But it seemed to me there was always tins of beans in the cupboard. And so I decided then we must have tins of beans in our cupboard. So I went to the, uh, what was then fairly new um, supermarket and decided I wanted beans. Well, when I was a child and I ran to the shop, I would give the shopkeeper money and I would just say beans because they knew me and they knew I wanted beans but then these supermarkets opened and you went in and you chose for yourself and I stood in front of this row of Cross and Blackwell baked beans, HP baked beans, Heinz baked beans, baked beans in tomato sauce, baked beans in something else and baked beans with the and, and I couldn't choose and there in front of the beans I had what was then called a nervous breakdown, and I don't remember how I got home. I think the police were involved and so on. And I got better from that, but then it happened again. And then I got better from that, and it happened again. And there's lots of things to the story, but it, this was happening, and it happened about four times before God began to break in. All these experiences helped to set up strongholds in my life, such as fear, rejection, anger, suicidal spirits, depression. I could go on and on and on down a very, very long list. With the biggest and the fattest and the hardest being this guy, Nemo. 
Nemo being that that has been something of a lifelong battle. The desire to stay in the background where it is safe. The desire to remain unseen and unheard. And yet something in me battling to be free, to shift the balance to a place where I could function in life and appropriate all that God had for my life. Thankfully, I came to a place of deliverance. And that's where I'm going to finish this very, very short outline of my story because there isn't time. But I wanted you to see how strongholds can build up in someone before passing on the story to Rob. Thank you. I think I just want to pause a, a little moment. I don't think I can go straight into some, some teaching after that. And I, I, I know it's all God. And, and Ginny is very clear that he, he seeks us and he finds us. But I do want to honor how Ginny has cooperated with God and obeyed God and, and wanted to follow him and uh, allow him to lead her out of terrible darkness into... Uh, a wonderful relationship with him, and I want to honour Stuart as well because, you know, I know more of the story of of how Stuart has helped. Shall we say to nurse Ginny through things? These these are just wonderful people, uh, and um, you know, yeah, we're talking about how to battle the the spiritual element of things, but it's it's us partnering with what the Holy Spirit wants to do. You know, it's not going to the, to the like we might go to the GP, say, give me some pills to make me better. Uh, you know, we, we're walking with him and, and we're, we're listening to him and we're responding to him. And this, this is just a wonderful couple. Uh, Lord, I, I pray, would you bless Stuart and Ginny, Lord God. I thank you, Jesus, that um, we all need you so much, much more than we realize, Lord. And we do just give glory to you for all that you have done and are and all that you're still doing, Lord God. But I, I thank you for them as people, Lord God, that they are precious children of you. And, uh, and thank you so much, Lord God, uh, for, uh, for this story. Not so much for the horrors of it, Lord God, but Lord, that is in the past. And as Ginny said, Lord God, uh, whatever pit we might be in, Lord God, uh, you are more than capable of lifting us out. Or oh, Lord, like your word says, we were in that, that miry clay, but you set our feet upon a rock. Uh, and more than that, Lord, you put a song in our mouth, a song of deliverance. Oh, Jesus, Lord, I just pray even now, Lord God, for uh, whatever situations we might feel in, Lord God, where we just feel trapped. Uh, oh, God, lift our eyes, lift our hearts that uh, we might know that you are the one who will lift us out and you will put a song in our hearts and our lives, Lord. Amen. Amen. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to swap around what I had prepared a bit, I think, just to sort of pick up on what Ginny was saying. So, you know, you'll, you'll be aware, uh, or I'm, I'm quite sure, of, of the verse uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where it talks about strongholds and um, I'm going to revisit that in a minute, but I just feel just to sort of pick up. Now, my, my definition to try and help us to get our heads around this, what, what is a stronghold? I, I would describe it as any pattern of thoughts 
or feelings or behavior where the rule of Christ has not yet been fully applied. So another way of describing that, areas of our lives or our relationships where the enemy is still squatting and needs to be evicted. So yesterday I was talking about the, the enemy being like a squatter. He he's, he's knows he hasn't got authority, but until he's kicked out, he's going to hang around. So let me just say that again. Any pattern of thoughts, feeling, or behavior where the rule, the authority, the victory of Christ has not yet been fully, properly applied. Areas of our lives or our relationships where the enemy is still squatting needs to be evicted. And, and I, I think that particular bit of Ginny's testimony is, is more powerful and, and, and clearer, really, than any theological exposition how somebody can be born again, filled with the Spirit. And uh, you know, I know Ginny, Ginny said almost from, from day one, the Lord gave her an amazing gift of prophecy. So there she is with all, all those things. But inside, the enemy was still squatting. And, and, and so to me, that is such a clear picture that strongholds will remain in place unless, until they are specifically addressed and demolished by some combination of revelation from God. Uh, prayer, uh, declaration of the authority of Christ, sometimes deliverance uh, and persistent obedience. But let, let, me, let me go back to the beginning, you know, in the beginning, as, uh, as, it, as it says in, in Genesis 1. So the enemy is strong, the enemy is powerful, and, and uh, you know, I think we all are aware of the strength of the enemy in some way in our lives. So if it was just me against the enemy, if it was just you against the enemy... Sorry, you've had it. <laughs> you know, go and do something else. We, we need to know that there is a greater power than us. There is a greater authority than the authority of the enemy. And so I want to go right back to, to the beginning. You know, Ginny, Ginny has described how her, her life and her relationships were so distorted. But distorted from what? We must see the importance that we were created in the image of God. We were created beautiful. And, and yes, that image has been distorted, but Christ is about the work of restoring that beautiful image. And, and in particular, as we come to look at this, this uh, subject, part of how God created us is with authority. We were created with authority, honor, and freedom. So let me remind you what it says in, in Genesis 1. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And let me highlight certain verses, uh, words here. So that they may rule. Okay, we can, we can miss that because, you know, when we're made in, man, in God's image, you know, there's so many different facets we like to explore. We can miss those little words. We were created in this particular way, in God's image, to rule. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he made them male and female, blessed them, said be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. You can't subdue something unless you've got authority to subdue it. And he says again, rule. Okay, so this is how God made us. Now, of course, it is God who's in charge of the whole universe. But here on earth in this place where he has created us, and, and caused us to live. He has delegated that authority to us who reflect his 
image. So he is the authority, but he says, I want you in this physical place to exercise my delegated authority. It's always been that way. So when in the New Testament, you know, Jesus says, all authority is being given to me, therefore go. That wasn't a new idea. It's picking up what is, is always been God's intention in that particular respect, as, may, as well as many others. We are designed, we are created to reflect his image. We are designed and intended to implement his godly rule. The trouble is, we didn't get very far in Genesis' story before we gave away that authority and honor and freedom. We gave it away through Adam in pride, independence, and sin. You know the story. What happened to this authority? Who took it off us? Who happily received our God-given authority and has been trying to run the show ever since? Of course we know who it is. It's, the, it's Satan, the devil, our enemy. If you think about uh, the story of Jesus' temptation in the Gospels, Luke, Luke chapter 4, for example, Satan in that story himself says that the domain of this world has been handed over to him. And Jesus didn't argue with him on that point. So it says, verses 4 to 7, The devil led Jesus to a high place, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And right, that is authority speak again, kingdoms. And Satan said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, if you'll worship me, because it's been given to me. Satan said, it's been given to me now. It's mine to do what I feel I would like to. If you worship me, it will be yours. And of course, Jesus said no to that because there was a better way. But the point is this. We had this incredible gift and responsibility and honor from God, and we gave it away. We threw it away, like the story in Genesis 25, where uh, Esau uh, gave away his birthright for a bowl of stew. The moment of temptation, the moment of hunger, said, yeah, he just threw away this, this precious thing. We've given away that authority in that manner to, to Satan. So how could we ever hope to regain that. We are no longer in charge. We no longer have the upper hand. We're against a powerful foe. Now we are under the rule of sin and death. We've given it away. How can we get it back? If it was just up to us, again, no chance at all. But we know the good news. And we know again, right from the very beginning, that God had his plan that through the story, the big story of the Bible, he was unfolding to us. So we only need to get to chapter 3 in Genesis, where God reveals his master plan. So Genesis 3.15, where God is speaking to the serpent, devil, and he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. He, being the woman's offspring, will crush your head, head representing authority. So even in the beginning... God had this plan, and he, and he was saying, a descendant of you, the woman, will arise. And there's more, he said, which you'll be familiar with as well. But the ultimate thing is this. This descendant of the woman, this offspring, this seed, will come along, and he's going to stamp on your head, Satan. And we know that that is Jesus. 
And this is why it was so crucial that Jesus took on flesh and become, became one of us to represent us, this new humanity. We are now in Christ. And what was happening uh, at the cross, we were in that, cro- in, in that victory. We share in the spoils of that victory uh, j- that Jesus won on the cross. For as a, as a man but without sin, Jesus, this offspring of the woman, took our place. Paid the price for our rebellion, conquering death. And the bit we often miss out and don't talk about so much in our preaching, took back the keys of authority from Satan that we had carelessly thrown away. And now risen, exhorted, glorified. Now the risen Jesus, the exhorted Jesus, declares that authority for all to see. Revelation chapter 1, I am the living one. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Revelation chapter 3, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. These are significant words. David indicates kingly rule and reign. Keys represent authority. What he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. When uh, in the earlier days of our church, like, like many of you here, we were renting places, we rented schools. I tell you, the, the, the guy with the biggest bunch of keys is always the caretaker, and he's the one who's really in charge of things. And there were, there were plenty of times in this one particular place where the caretaker overslept, and there's all the church waiting outside the school for the caretaker to arrive, or the caretaker wanted to go home early, and he's standing there in the corner glaring at you while you're chattering away and praying for people and waiting for you to clear up. All right, keys represent authority. And Jesus says, who's got the keys now? I have got the keys. I've got them back. And you are in Christ. You are no longer in Adam. You are now in Christ. So we have been given that right in Jesus to regain that creational God-given authority and to exercise it day by day in every situation of life. Jesus won it back for us on the cross. Colossians 2 says Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. Right? They were in charge, but they're not any longer. Jesus is now in charge. So Satan is still a powerful foe. He should not be underestimated. But in Jesus, we can now rule with the authority that we are always created to do. This is your destiny. This is your birthright. This is your calling to reign in life, as it says in the New Testament in Romans. But if you hear yesterday and heard Helen's story, you heard uh, Ginny this morning, um, I haven't got such perhaps dramatic things in some way, but my story will be just the same. If you say, oh, so now I'm born again, does that just automatically work out that everything's all right? Unfortunately, no, it doesn't, does it? We've got to apply the work of the cross to our lives by faith. We've got to actively take back what the enemy has stolen, which essentially we conceded and gave away to him, but which is now once more rightfully ours. And uh, if you were here yesterday, uh, I talked about this, this vision that the Lord gave me one time in, in a, a, a prayer meeting 
where it was a, it was a lovely scene and, and I had to command the works of the enemy to be revealed and out from these innocent situations in people came these dark figures and I had to, to command them uh, to, to be exposed so God could deal with them and even in that moment somebody sort of fell to the floor and, ne- and needed prayer for deliverance. Uh, and just to give you uh, an, another example of taking hold of our authority and, and applying it, it was three or four years ago, uh, it devoted when we were meeting it at Newark, uh, that we had a lot of hassle in our church from this, this particular person who was causing trouble, and Joseph and Lillian were very helpful in us understanding this, so Joseph got us as an eldership team together, and we didn't pray against this person, we were trying pastorally to help the person, but we took our stand. We declared our authority over the spirits that were using that person. And that sadly, he was also cooperating with. And, and we commanded uh, that authority to be broken in Christ. And we didn't know quite what would happen, but we knew it was a good thing to do. Well, in our case, maybe it doesn't always work out quite like this. Uh, two weeks later, that person left the church and actually moved away completely from the town. That, that was a real eye-opener to me. We stood together as the gatekeepers of the church, and we said, we are not having this anymore. We're not having this usurping authority. We are taking the authority that God has given us as believers, and in our case, particularly as, as the shepherds of the church, and say, no, we are declaring the rule of Christ. So if we are to... Use Christ's authority to retake what is is rightfully ours. We need to find and deal with the places where the enemy is hiding. And I said yesterday, his most common tactic in our culture is to hide. So we don't notice he's there. We don't know what to look for. We don't even sometimes believe that he is there. And this is what the Bible calls strongholds. He's sitting there, he's, he's squatting there until God graciously reveals that. And the way I've prayed about a lot of situations has really changed. And it, uh, sometimes, yet yeah, it is right to say, oh, Lord, please, can you do this? And please, can we have that? Often, the way we should be praying is, is more of a declaratory, declaratory way. So, enemy, you will be revealed. Whatever is hidden here, come to light, we command you in Jesus' name. Because going back to this, uh, this verse about strongholds in 2 Corinthians 6, the weapons we fight with, sorry, 2 Corinthians 10, they're not the weapons of the world. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. So there's that, that, uh, that sense of authority again. Yeah, there's something strong, but we are stronger. It talks about taking captive every thought. If you're taking something captive, you are the captor. You are the one with the upper hand. You are the one with authority. You can't take something captive unless you've got authority to do so. And this is what the Bible is saying. You've got authority over those thoughts going through your mind. You've got authority over this situation that you might be trying to deal with. You've got authority over those habits that you've you've got into. We take those uh, those thoughts captive to make them obedient to Christ, put them under his rule and his reign authority. So we probably all unwittingly (laughs) brought strongholds with us into the Christian life of one sort or another. And my, my understanding of this is that a stronghold could be any combination of several things. It could be a physical, habitual stronghold, 
It could be a mental stronghold in, in the sense of thought patterns. So, for example, um, I remember a, a church planter several years ago in a, in a poor area of Manchester um, talking about uh, addressing a fairly new Christian in the church who'd come from a background where nobody in the family had ever worked for several generations and talked about, you know, no, you, you, we need to help you to find a job. And, and, and this guy, like, exploded at this lead. Oh, what do you think you're telling me? Because his thinking it, it needed changing. Okay, so just in that, that thought pattern, don't, don't think it has to be something that is like really overtly demonic or something. It's anything where the rule of Christ has not yet been fully applied. It could be an emotional thing. We've heard that very much from Ginny and from Helen, the way we respond to things. So when, you, for example, you, you are a rejected person, then you, you, you tend to look for that rejection again. There's, there's, there's a pattern, there's a stronghold that needs to be demolished. It could be persistent sin where we give ourselves to something. We heard yesterday about generational influences. And in any of these things, what can sometimes happen, the way I would describe it is, is in one sense, we don't need the help of the devil to get stuck in strongholds. <laughs> our sinfulness and our weakness and, and the fallenness of the world, uh, that, that's plenty enough for strongholds developing our lives. But the enemy wants to, to, wants to keep us in those strongholds. And sometimes he, he puts an additional demonic influence, like double locking those strongholds in our lives. Uh, now, we just face so many battlegrounds. But there's no battleground that's too hard for the Lord. Nothing at all. But whatever it is, each of these needs to be and can be addressed and countered by the word of God and the power of God by his Holy Spirit. And remember what Jesus said about keys as well? I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Keys equaling authority. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Right, so, so we've got an equivalent here, for example. In Revelation it says two things. It says uh, that, that God is making his bride ready. But it also says the bride is making herself ready. And it's a similar thing here. It's our partnership with God. So Jesus has the keys, but he says, actually, I, I'm giving, I want you to use the keys. I want you to put the key in the lock. I want you to open the door or close the door, whatever it is, in those different situations. So whatever combination of physical, emotional, spiritual, it might, might be, whether there's a demonic influence as well, we have the authority of Christ. And he says, go on, exercise that authority. Now, I'm going to hand over to Lillian now. And uh, she's going to talk a little bit more about situations which are not always the case, but maybe more often than we think, where there is some sort of more explicit uh, demonic element to those strongholds. Hi again. Um, I said, as um, an African pastor, I always want to hear somebody say, hello. <laughs> okay, I know you guys here are very quiet because it's so cold. <laughs> okay, um, we thank God you came back. Wow, we thank God. Okay, uh, so turn to your neighbor again. This morning, or is it afternoon already? Turn to your neighbor and your other neighbor and just give them a lovely smile. 
<laughs> All right. That's good. Thank you so much, Jeannie, for joining us this morning. Lovely testimony from Jeannie, isn't it? Let's uh, just appreciate God for Jeannie. A big hand of applause. Thank you. Thank you so much. And of course, we, we say thank you to Rob as well for facilitating this wonderful life zone. Okay, so um, there's a lot of things to talk about when we're talking about spiritual warfare, but um, we, we see how we can just uh, put everything in uh, 20 minutes or so. So we'll go to Nehemiah this morning, and I think I'll, I'll speak to us about... Um, the journey on, on how you can uh, uh, get either yourself or your family or some people into deliverance. Yesterday I spoke um, on, a, on prisons. I, I was explaining to us that um, Jesus took uh, the scroll on the day that he came out of the desert after praying 40 days. And he went to the temple, took the scroll and Luke 4, 18, and read where it, was, where it was saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I emphasized the fact that he said to bring a release to those who are in prisons. And I was explaining to all of us that Jesus was not talking about physical prisons. He was actually talking about spiritual prisons where uh, a lot of times the enemy has put people in there. He has like... Uh, he has jailed them, and many people have, are in prisons of one kind or another. And I was emphasizing yesterday that sometimes you can be in that prison and you don't know it. Um, from the testimony of both Helen and Jeannie, um, uh, we can uh, testify and, and prove a point there that uh, there are some uh, prisons which are in families. You know, and so you just inherit. You go into them. I like doing this exercise, so just do your hands like this. Sorry, you have got an African with you today. Um, with both your hands like this. And say, I'm coming from somewhere where something has affected me. Yeah. Exactly. You're coming from somewhere. Because no one just appeared. Hello? Anyone here who just fell down? Oh, wow. The only person we have in the Bible, it's not even a person, the only thing or whatever we can explain it, that fell from heaven in Revelation chapter 12 is the devil. Hello? So it's only the devil who doesn't have a mom. Oh, poor him. Each one of us here, we have a mother and a father. Amen. Everyone was born from somebody. And definitely the people who brought us into this world have got a, an influence over our lives. However they treated you has affected you one way or another. Um, sorry, moms, for what I'm about to say, but especially moms. <laughs> because uh, we as moms 
take the, the, the seed and we have that seed in our womb for nine months. So we are, the, we are like the first home of any person on earth. And whatever the mom is feeling, whatever the mom's going through, through that period, unfortunately, will affect the child for the rest of their lives. And so um, if you're coming from a mom who wanted to abort you or they didn't want to have you or they were, they were quarrelsome or they were whatever, they opened a doorway to the enemy to come in and begin to rule over your life. And that's how uh, Rob was explaining that you're carrying a stronghold from your family. But all that can be broken in Jesus. Hallelujah. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's power in the blood of Jesus. And we can overcome the enemy. Nehemiah chapter 1. I'll start from there. The words of Nehemiah son of Hakaliah in the month of Kislev. In the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Um, deliverance usually begins at a place where you sit down and begin to think about your life, you question things, you begin to research. It's always very, very important. Many times the enemy will hide. The enemy thrives in secret. He, as long as there's a secret about your life, he will just stay in there. Many times we cannot be fully um, delivered, we cannot fully uh, experience a release if we don't know what we are being released from and also how that came about. So I know there are some people who uh, would say things like, but I don't know who my real biological mom is or who my biological dad is. And uh, I remember even myself, I was, I was in that sort of situation because uh, I come from a, a family where my mom and dad divorced. And so we grew up with mom. We knew everything about mom and everything about mom's sisters and all that, but nothing about dad. And I remember one day when I was praying for a certain situation in my life and I, I uh, locked myself up and began to pray in the spirit that, Lord, reveal to me, why is this situation in my life like this? And how come it keeps re recurring? And then the Lord took me somewhere in the, uh, in the spirit, I believe, and gave me a revelation about my, my dad's ancestry worship of um, the crocodile. In my tribe in um, Africa, the way I come from, they worship the crocodile. And they do loads of, of um, rituals to honor the crocodile, poor thing. But anyway, so the Lord showed me that. And I began to pray about that. And later on, uh, I think it was about two years later, my dad came back into my life. And I began to ask him these things. And he admitted it. So don't be afraid. 
you may not know exactly where you're coming from, but you have the Holy Spirit. He can reveal it to you. So on this point, whatever is coming to your mind, don't just rub it off. Write it down. There's no pain in praying over it, is there? Better you pray about it than just uh, 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 saying it. It may no, it's that's not me. No, because you never know what happened when you were in your mom's womb. Amen. So here we see, Amen. Praise God. So here we see Nehemiah asking. He is asking. He is asking. May God help you to ask the right questions. And uh, for for those of us who still have our parents still alive, ask them. How was your life when you were young? How was it when I was a baby? Just engage them in, into these things. Out of such situations, you will begin to get a clue of what spiritual battles you are engaged in. Amen. So research. The first hour. I like to put them in, in uh, four hours. So the first hour is research. Nehemiah questioned. Verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. I'll, I'll jump to verse 6. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. When you find out what sort of things your family has been involved in or what the Lord may be trying to speak to you, it's always so important to go into a time of repentance. And here, uh, Nehemiah is confessing not just for himself, but also for the father's sins. Um, we, we have a, a teaching. I wish we had more time, but um, Joseph teaches about uh, how um, Levi was able to give his tithe when he was uh, in the low ends of um, Melchizedek. Is it something like that? Uh, is it Melchizedek? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Levi gave his tithe when he was in Aaron's lowens. yes. So, like, um, when my father was worshipping this crocodile, I was in his lowens, and definitely I did too. So, when I come to pray for a deliverance, I'm saying, forgive me, Lord. Forgive also my father, because what he did affects me. Um, on this point also, I have also seen that um, there are some times when you have to stand and pray to God, a prayer of repentance on behalf of the rest of the family as well. You know, you don't just ignore what your husband is doing. Don't just ignore what your children are doing. If there are things like, um, maybe you may not even know it, but maybe there's abortion happening in your home. You don't know about it. It's all done in secret. But the spirits, the spiritual forces, they know about it. So you rise up 
and just repent. Um, here, Nehemiah spent days mourning and fasting, praying to God that the Lord could just come through for them. So you repent, you research, and then you repent. And then you also pray for the Holy Spirit to give you the third hour, which is revelation. Like I said, the enemy works with secrets. As long as there's a secret, the covenant is kept and you won't be released. But once the secret is known, you are on the winning side. This is also like what happens in, in, in wars. I mean, when, uh, if, if, for example, um, even the way that I believe um, you guys, the British won in the uh, Second World War, it's because they were spies, people who went in into the enemy and learned their secrets and worked on that. It's exactly the same uh, uh, situation. You have to know what the enemy is doing, what he has done, and what he has planned. And that can only be by revelation. And that is by the Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. Okay. So now, the other, the other things we need to do for God to give us a release is to have times of serious prayer. I know it's important to pray all the time, two minutes here, three minutes there, but there's also a time when you're seeking God for a release to set times apart and long time. Um, we can, uh, I, I always joke with people to say, I believe that um, the least you can pray as a child of God is one hour, at least for an ordinary, Christ, uh, an ordinary person. Leaders, it should be three hours. Apostles and bishops, it should be more than that, maybe seven hours. <laughs> hey, do you agree with me? Hey, they should be praying for us. Amen. Okay, so I, of course I get that from Mark 14, 37 and 38. When Jesus was in Gethsemane, he came out to the disciples and he found them and he said to them, couldn't you have watched even for one hour? Amen. Yeah. And um, there, there is a place where I also teach on the power of, um, of, uh, of, uh, of watching, you know, watching, taking the watch. And then it's like praying in a cycle, maybe every three hours or four hours, because there's something you're trying to break. So you set times apart like that. And um, in your prayer also, you've got to also learn to walk the walk of persistence in faith. Like in Luke chapter 18, we read a, a story that Jesus told of this persistent widow. So because it is a warfare, it is not a nice prayer. Amen. It's not a nice prayer. It's not, it's not worship and feeling good. It is addressing your enemy. So it's not nice. So it's persistent. So you, it is a, a, a work in a way. And it is war. It is a fight. So you need to be persistent. This enemy 
has had hold of your grandfather, your mother, your, and then you. It's not something that will just give up in two minutes. It will. It will definitely resist. And as it is resisting, sometimes as you are praying, even for yourself or other people, you, people may be saying to you, you are small. You know, as they are reacting and manifesting, they will be saying, you are small. You can't get rid of me. Or you may be having those thoughts, but you have to be persistent and continue standing on the word of God and just continue persisting in faith that this thing shall surely give up in Jesus' name. I remember when I started praying for people for deliverance and um, uh, praying against the spirit of premature death, this woman was brought home and um, she was almost unconscious. Um, and uh, the husband said, I don't want her to die, but she's been having all these things. And we started praying, and the Lord revealed to us that we were dealing with a, a spirit of premature death. And as we, I, I tell you, we prayed the whole day, <laughs> you know, because we're just starting, and we're exciting, and we're excited, and we prayed. I remember praying from 9 a.m. to 15 hours to 3 p.m., just trying to cast out this demon. But we thank God that uh, as we've continued with uh, a lot of uh, a revelation from the Holy Spirit, now I don't need to pray those long hours. I just pray maybe 10, 15 minutes because I can recognize it right there and then and it is gone. But <laughs> it came out of a lot of persistence in prayer. Amen. Yeah, go on and laugh. You're encouraging me. That's good. <laughs> okay, so now these um, prayers where you set time to pray must also go with fasting. Mm, yeah, yeah. I know there's loads of food in, in the UK. <laughs> I know I'm at Heathrow Airport by the smell of coffee. <laughs> Come to Zambia and, oh, you have, to go, you have to search for it. Yeah, anyway, but we have to fast as well. And, of course, the common fasting that we know is abstaining from food. Yeah, and I know some people could be on uh, medical conditions of one sort or another, but there are loads of books on fasting and how it can be done. You can go to your leaders and they can advise you on how you can uh, do that fasting. But we know that um, Jesus said in Mark 9 verse 27 that this kind can only go out by prayer and fasting. Amen. In fact, if you are going to join us in this walk where you are praying for various people, for release and deliverance, you need to just develop a lifestyle where once in a while you're also fasting as you are praying for others. Amen. Amen. Good. And then, of course, um, it is also important to recognize someone whom you can go and pray with. There are some demons or some spiritual forces, unfortunately, which will not go just by you praying for yourself. You need others to pray for you because other um, spiritual forces need the, 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 the unity of the church to be able to confront 
those situations. Amen. Now, of course, um, I have other situations which the Lord has uh, helped me in my own walk, uh, praying for different people um, with um, uh, deliverance. And uh, some of them is that, you know, as you are praying, the Lord could be saying to you, speak to this mountain or speak to this house or speak to this tree. And you can be confused. But hey, Jesus did speak to a tree. And even when the disciples came to him and said, you spoke to this tree and it's been, you cursed it and it's, it is all dried up. Jesus did not begin to defend himself. He went further and said, you can also speak to a mountain. So sometimes I have found myself in praying for a release of some people, praying also for their homes and praying for objects as well. And I've also sometimes been led to telling some people to, to, to stop maybe uh, using some certain kind of clothes or some certain decorations or anything as the Holy Spirit has led. Um, so that story in Mark eleven fourteen, where Jesus talked to, talked to a tree. And uh, the, other, the other one, which sometimes is uh, difficult in relationships, like when you hear the story of um, Helen and Jeannie, there are stories where they were abused as children by their own parents. And, you know, when something happened to you from a beloved one, you grow up bitter against people like that. Is that true? You become bitter. But for you to receive a, a, a release, you need to forgive those people. Forgive them. And when you do forgive them, you even stop getting the pain when you are talking about that situation because God releases you. When you learn to forgive others, you also receive the forgiveness of God and then the enemy will not have a hold over your life. And I know sometimes um, in other cultures, these things have stopped making a lot of sense but I have found that um, sometimes the, the, the enemy will not, will not lose you until you follow some, some basic principles of life, like honoring your parents. You know, um, the enemy can just keep holding you down. I remember praying for this lady in our church. She wanted to get married, and for many years she couldn't get married until we, pray, we ministered to her and said, you know, what's your situation with your parents? As the Lord revealed that to us, the, 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 the sister said, I hate my dad and I've never seen him for a, for a long time. I don't even know where he is. We encouraged her to forgive the father and go and look for him. And she went to the village, looked for, for the father who was still alive by that time. And the moment she honored the father, came back to Kitwe within... Two months, she met a man of her life, and now they are happily married. Yeah, so, yeah, come on, just say, yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Amen. So, you have, you know, relationships. It could be your husband, it could be your children, or anything like that. The enemy does want to just uh, 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 cause situations to go bad just in your relationships. And, of course, like I began yesterday, 
I said that uh, we pray for deliverance with our mouth. You confess. Normally, deliverance, you don't pray about it in your heart. Amen. You can talk to God in your heart. But if you are praying for deliverance, you have to learn to declare it. You have to learn to speak. You have to learn to just be noisy, maybe like an African. Amen. <laughs> okay, so I'll end there for today. And um, Rob will lead us. Well done, Lillian. Um, in, in a moment, Joseph, could I ask you to lead us in some, some prayer? Uh, we'll only have a couple of minutes. I just want to try and just very, very briefly tie together some of these things that Lillian has said to help you to see they are all outworkings of us retaking our authority. So when we fast... What we're doing is we're actively placing ourselves under the authority of God. We're, we're recognizing who he is and the authority he gives us. And we need very often to, you know, we've got to take that much, much, much more seriously than we usually do. When we're talking about forgiving people, what we're saying is we're, we're releasing those people who have hurt, hurt us to the authority of God. We're not, we're not holding that on onto that ourselves. When we're honoring parents, for example, if they've if abused, us, abu abused us, we're honoring their God-given authority, despite the way they've abused that authority. When we're repenting for things that past generations have done, we're saying, I'm standing in authority now for my family, and this is not coming any further. Uh, when we're making declarations, we are, we're actively speaking out the authority of Christ. So these are, you know, that, that verse in 2 Corinthians 10 about stronghold talked about weapons of our warfare. These are weapons. These are the weapons that God has given us. And, and we need to learn how to exercise those weapons. And we're, we're, I tell you, we're all, like I said yesterday, with big L plates on, but God will help you just to start where you are. All right, so please don't be overwhelmed and think, oh, I know nothing about this. That's what I feel, really. I barely know anything. But God wants to take us from wherever we, we are. So I'm conscious we're almost out of time. If you do need to go, then please feel free to do that. But if I could just ask uh, Joseph. We'll hear more from Joseph tomorrow uh, with, with teaching. But if you can finish this off today now. Let's all stand. Let's appreciate all our speakers this morning. It's been wonderful. <clears throat> okay, we've got about a minute to just do something, then we go. All right. Now, obviously, a minute to an African doesn't mean anything, but... Um, <laughs> uh, one of the things that we just want to go away with uh, let's just wrap it up with what Rob has been telling us this morning, that you have the authority to do something about what the enemy has been doing. Can I hear the man say that one? Tell your neighbor, I have authority. Amen. Uh, Matthew 16, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So that will be a starting point tomorrow, but also our end point today. Whatever situation you have, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why don't we raise our hands to the Lord?
and begin to thank God for the authority that we have in Jesus. Just begin to thank God for that. Begin to thank God. Now, uh, can I encourage you? At this point, when you're exercising the authority, one of the ways you do is to actually speak. Just think it. Uh, can I encourage you to speak out uh, and just declare you have authority in the name of Jesus. Just 30 seconds, just declare that over your life. We thank you, Lord, that you went to the cross and destroyed the powers of darkness. Uh, you came back and you said, it is finished. We thank you this afternoon that the enemy does not have a final word. Jesus has the final word. Let's just declare something together. Um, uh, just repeat with me and say, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that I have authority through, through your name to destroy, to dismantle every stronghold in my life, in my family, in my church, in the name of Jesus. Today, I ask for revelation concerning my situation. Just ask God for revelation right now, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your personal. Just pray that prayer with authority. Lord, reveal to me in the name of Jesus. Now, we're going to flip that prayer that declaration and speak to the situation. Lily talked about speaking to things. We're going to ask the, in the name of Jesus, whatever situation to begin to reveal itself. Command it right now. Reveal yourself. Manifest yourself. Whatever secret, whatever mystery is behind the situation on your mind, we're asking God for revelation. Reveal yourself right now. Wherever the enemy is hidden, reveal yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit. The weapons of our welfare are not cannot, but they're mighty through God. To the tearing down of stronghold. So we use the weapon of revelation, the spirit of discernment. Lord, as you revealed yourself and as you brought discernment to Jenny, discernment to Helen, discernment to a whole lot of people in this room and across the globe, I pray for discernment, that the spirit of discernment may be granted unto each one of us in this room to discern what you are doing but also to descend the spirits that are at work in our situation. Father, as we go this afternoon, we pray that that will be our portion today. As we meditate, as we sleep, as we pray, show us, O oh God, the underlining issues behind our various situations. We thank you that you will do that as we take authority in the name of Jesus. Somebody say amen. 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 Thank you for coming. We have to stop there. We'll continue tomorrow. God richly bless you. 
and thank you for listening. Uh, I mean, our team is around in case you want a quick word with them. Uh, please, um, we'll be happy to do that.